everyone, welcome back to a new episode of People Are Wild, your Monday medutainment friend. My name is Kim, I'm your friendly neighborhood ER nurse of a host, and I should probably preface this by saying that this is the beginning of National Nurses Week. So I expect to be showered with compliments and praise. I won't smell great, but my self-esteem will be sky high. See what I did there? Medutainment. Is it? I don't know. Anyways, this week, I'm going to be doing something a little bit different. I decided to kind of do some Mother's Day sort of inspired topics, starting with today's episode. You might recognize my special guest, and it's a delight to have her on talking to me about her truly harrowing experience that she had with pregnancy. So I hope that you guys enjoy it. It was fantastic to have her on, and I look forward to having my special guest be on future episodes should she want to come on, which she will, I'm thinking. I'm pretty positive. I don't know. Anyways, enjoy. All right, what are we talking about today, Kate? Well, pick something and let's go. All Um, right. I I don't know. You know, I started off healthy, honestly. Like, I really did the first... You weren't like a sick little kiddo? Like, well, not like that, but I mean, like, you know, when you were born, was it a a normal birth? Like, no high risk? Mine? Oh, I was, I, well, I was as normal, I suppose, as you could get. My parents were 17, mm. um, so I attended their high school graduation. But this is upstate New York, so, it, you know, all the cool kids did it. Exactly. Um, and I was fine as a child. I was not a sporty kid because I am not at all graceful. There's nothing but, wrong with that. you know, I, I didn't break anything. I'd never been in the hospital until I was 19. And I went to an engineering college. Because they had a program that let me escape high school a year early. That's what it was all about. It was going away. I, I combined my, my senior year of high school and my, my freshman year of college. Oh, like a dual thing. And then thing. I stayed up there because I didn't know what else to do. So I, I'm pretty good with numbers. And so I stayed there until I figured out that I hated them. My junior year, I got sick. And everybody assumed I was hungover. And after three days of throwing up and I hadn't been drinking, we decided to go to the ER. And it turns out I had a raging kidney infection. And this is not a shock because I was living in a frat house at the time. Okay. And because this is the middle of nowhere, New York, it's not what you might call top-notch medical care. And so I ended up admitted to the hospital for nine or ten days with a kidney infection. Damn. Um, took them three days to believe me that I am allergic to Demerol. Oh, um, no. They, my my IVs kept sliding out, and so I would, get, I would wake up in the morning with the sausage hands. It was yeah. exciting, you know, whatever. But that was my first ever like illness. a real big like hospital experience, and yeah. and I having mean, to be admitted. It really shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been that that big a deal. Not for um, nine to ten days. Yeah, well, it, they, but that's the thing is that they kept screwing stuff up, and that was more the issue. Right. It um, wasn't necessarily the fact that you had pilo or whatever. It's just the fact exactly. that. Well, I think I actually did ultimately. But I don't know that I would have if they had done better treatment early on. Like faster because interventions. Because hospital initially treated me like, oh, it's just, she's hungover. Right. Uh, uh, and I mean, now, let's be clear, I did marry my bartender. So, okay, <laughs> fair enough. But we were fine. Um, I had my first kid when I was 22. And normal birth. All three of my, my biological babies were a month early. And my labors are fast and cool. You know, that's... Smooth sailing. That's fine. A month early is good because my first was seven, six was six fourteen at birth. She yeah. was ten pounds on her due date, oh, and my my last baby Isaac, my last biological kiddo, 
born in 2010, was eight pounds at 36 weeks. My God. Yeah. So now my second, Jacob, was, he is now 13. He was a Frank breach. Mm-hmm. So he ended up being an emergency C-section. Sure. Because my labors are, you know, Emily's was seven hours start to finish. His was four hours. And so in between the boys, and so between 2004 and 2010, I was diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis. So talk about uh, what that is. It's a fun way. Yeah. It's a fun phrase to say. It is ankylosing spondylitis. Yeah, it sounds sexy. It is not. Oh. Uh, it's a pretty big steaming pile of suck. It is. Uh, it's a low. It starts with you get a lower back pain and that hurts the most the first hour of the day. It gets a little bit better with motion for several hours, but then you fatigue much easier and then you get sore. And so then by the end of the day, you're sore again. Uh, your joints, all of them, sort of swell. And the biggest issue is basically this is not just it, it is it's like it's kind of like rheumatoid arthritis, right. a lot of swelling and misery. But my body has decided that one spine is not enough. It's so not enough. The, the, there can only be one. No. no, not in this case. Well, exactly. And so the affectionate nickname is bamboo spine. So I'm not I'm growing like a sheath of bone from the tailbone up that fuses all of my vertebrae, and it looks ultimately it should look like. A sheath of bamboo. Right. That extra bone is super brittle. When did that start again for you? I was diagnosed when I was 27 right. or so, 28. Now, I guess I guess more like 28 or 29. Because um, I had my, my 13-year-old, I was 27 when he was born, and then a year or two later. My uncle was diagnosed with it, and so we kind of knew. Now it's on the radar. There's a, a gene that's associated with it, and so there's some blood work. And so on. And at the end of the day, there's really no treatment. You just have to kind of be careful. Treat for pain, but it doesn't respond real well to facet joint injections or cortisone injections or, you know, anything. Because it's doing something different. I mean, you're talking about bone. You're not necessarily talking about tissue and things that just get inflamed that you can just take an anti-inflammatory for. So it makes sense that it wouldn't necessarily work outside of pain management. Right. But, of course, I'm lumped in with any other chronic pain seeker that you know any pain clinic and and for a long time I was involved in a pain clinic and I decided to stop going because it was a pain in the ass I kind of wish I had stayed because now in Massachusetts your primary care basically cannot prescribe opiates oh Um, so that's their way of for an acute thing they can you know you break your arm sure but but not for ongoing because you go to the pain doctor and they say there's nothing we can do for you so have your primary care prescribed. You don't need us. And I go to the primary care, and he goes, I don't want to prescribe that. Go to a pain doctor. Oh, God. So I, I ran out of patients, and so I'm not on pain meds now. Um, if you want to hook me up, you let me know. You know, I know some people who know some people. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Yes. Oh, so, and they're DEA already. That's fine. You know what? It's Stop fine. it. They're not uh, listening to this podcast. So anyway, the moral is I had a C-section. Then a couple years later, I get diagnosed with this thing. And this thing is worse if I don't move. When I got pregnant again, which my husband will tell you, <laughs> okay, this is terrible. Just say it. Come on now. We'll get there. Okay. Okay. Now, let you, as a side note, as, a, as, a, as an afternote, okay. we have four children because we adopted the last one. Who's not a velociraptor? I, well, we'll get back to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, my husband will tell you that we have a girl, a boy, a compromise, and a stray. <laughs> parents we really are honestly, that's honestly, love honestly. that's love because yeah. if you can't poke so, fun come on now 
because I had always wanted more kids. You know, we started young, and sure. I had wanted, you know, a handful, but then you have the first one, and you're like, holy shit. That's a lot of work. And it took me about four years to forget how much work it was and think, let's do that again. <laughs> and then after that, my husband kind of looked at it as like, look, we've spun that roulette wheel twice. We've got two healthy kids. Mm-hmm. Let's stay here. And I was like, well, but I'm not, I'm not done yet. And I was kind of bitter because he hadn't told me during the pregnancy that he thought he was done having kids. And so I didn't know it was my last at the time that it was my last, you know, I felt like no no fair. Right. So we spent two years trying to get pregnant. We went through the Clomid thing. We went through the, you know, he had to go to a clinic where he made a deposit for a bunch of like the Swedish, Swedish bikini team or whatever, (laughs) you know, that sort of thing. Ultimately, they looked at us and said, we don't know why you can't get pregnant. But our health insurance at that time was through University of New Hampshire, and they didn't want any more babies, so they weren't going to pay for any more. And so we said, okay, fine. I guess it's not going to happen. Six months later, we went to move to Boston, and the day the movers showed up, I happened to find an old pregnancy test under the sink in the bathroom and thought, let's pee on that. Why not? And surprise. <laughs> let's just give it a whirl. You know, so, and so it turns out I was pregnant. <laughs> there you go. There so, you go. there's the compromise, right? That's the compromise. And, um, good pregnancy. It actually, pregnancy decreased the AS symptoms quite a bit. The joint pain was there, of course, because I put on weight and I'm carrying an extra person. Right. But otherwise, I felt a lot better. The energy level was better, more even, that kind of deal. So... Do you, they think I it's because of hormones? There's a lot of thoughts about it. I mean, one of the... one I don't remember the name of it, but one of the hormones of pregnancy loosens all of your joints to prepare oh. your pelvis for spitting out a watermelon. Exactly, right. You got to make room helps. for that. That's sort of the opposite uh, mechanism to what ankylosing spondylitis does, which tries to fuse all of your joints. So that's so, so that's why you had maybe some more energy is because you actually were moving somewhat in a normal way yeah, to it was some extent. And, yeah, and I wasn't waking up feeling like, you know, a block of wood. I think there's a, I don't know the full mechanism and frankly don't care. I just, I felt better. I did yeah. pregnancy well. I don't put on a ton of weight and I carry all in front and I'm 5'8", so... I'm one of those who won't look pregnant from the back. Right. You know, I just carry on. It's always good. I do pregnancy well. I enjoyed it. So I went into labor with Isaac, and we had a whole plan, you know, who's going to come and watch the older two. I think his labor was about six hours. We had decided to do a VBAC, vaginal birth after cesarean. Yes. Okay. I am not a proponent anymore. But at the time, I was into it because the idea of, if I have a baby vaginally, I'll be back on my feet faster than if I have another C-section. Okay, yeah, I can understand that. It's like the and natural process versus the surgery. Right, and all of that. And so I'm thinking, let's, let's go in that direction. And it's not something that all hospitals will do. And no one should ever do it outside of a hospital, you know, unless the hospital has a 24-hour operating room readied. Which a lot don't. Like in New Hampshire, a lot don't. Yeah, you'd have to go to like a women's and children's hospital, really, to have a 24-hour sort uh, of... Well, you know, or like we're up here in, other than Salem, Mass, and it's a the hospital, what's it called? The satellite of Mass General birth, Birthing Center there. It's got a pretty good reputation. And they were on board. And, and I, you know, I saw all in-house doctors and, and cool. So we went in. I uh, tried to get an epidural and it did not work several times. I don't know whether that's because of the AS, whether there was enough fusion already in the way that they couldn't get the needle where they needed it, right? or whether I had a shitty anesthesiologist. Could be both. What, what happened was my right leg went numb from the knee down, and that's all. So I got to do the epidural version of a, pregnant, of a 
childbirth. I got to do a C-section and I got to do a nomads. And if I ever had to do pregnancy again, yes. I would get the epidural in like the second month, just in case. Yeah, <laughs> just, just like yeah. preload. Just like constantly well, be. I didn't earn any prizes by having given birth without drugs. <laughs> So isn't that always the thing that people are like, I'm going to do this all natural. I'm not going to have this and that. That's living through chemistry. You know what? There's a reason why we evolved as humans. I mean, are you going to wash your hands first? <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm all for, I want to be in a medical facility. This is a physical biological process. I'm okay with being, you know, if you're having an eight pound growth removed, you should probably do that in a medical yeah. setting as far as I'm concerned, especially given my medical issues. So birth goes fine. He was born about 1130 at night. And because now one of the nurses in the delivery room said that right after he was born that she saw one labored breath. One. That, he, that at one point she looked at him and she thought she saw the skin sucking between his ribs oh. as she tried to take a breath. Oh, like a respiratory oh, distress okay. almost. Yeah, kind of. But only one. Just one. But still, the policy at the hospital is they stay in the NICU for five days. Sure. I so, mean, they just want to make sure. I decided, you know, I'm not going to fight it the first day for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm big on rooming in and that kind of deal. But at the same time, like uh, a couple you know, care. Go ahead and take care of the baby for 12 hours and let me take a nap. We're good. Okay. They took him up there and it was hilarious because he looked like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man compared to the actual preemies. You know, I got this eight pound creamy next to these actual. He's like full term. You know, I I nursed him once or twice over the night, and early the next morning, my my older kids came to visit, and I was not feeling well, and I Mm. couldn't describe how. I just was I was not feeling right. Something's off. By noon the next day, so about twelve hours after his birth, okay, I did not want to go up and nurse him anymore because something was wrong. And I couldn't, again, couldn't articulate what was wrong, but I was afraid something was wrong with me and I didn't want it to impact him. Like whether it was an infection or a pro- I couldn't even, like I didn't feel sick. I felt wrong. And shortly after that, I mean by early afternoon, so maybe 13, 14 hours after childbirth, I started to have crazy abdominal pain, like nothing I've ever experienced before. And there was nothing that made it better. I could not walk or sit or stand or lay down. The only way I could even pant to get breath was to stack up several pillows and effectively be on my hands and knees propped up. I was in just this agony and the nurses kept coming through and saying, it's gas pain. Drink more ginger ale. And I'm thinking, lady, this is my third baby. I know right. gas pain. <laughs> you're like, not gas. But yeah, I, I just kept getting a, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And I've worked in emergency rooms. I've worked around doctors. I have been one. I'm of the population You'd think I would not have that white coat anxiety. Sure. But I do, like, it, I was intimidated because I'm in pain and I'm not thinking well now. And so they tell me I'm fine and now I feel bad for feeling sick. Like, yeah. I'm not supposed to not like, feel fine. Like, it's all in your head. Um, like, this is just something it, well, that you I created. I check my medical record and learn that I had AS and, and accused me of being med-seeking. Of course. The good old drug-seeking behavior. Let me suggest to you where you could put this Percocet. Give I me a doctor instead. A spot. For you. Because first I was doing nothing, nothing for me, and I'd been off opiates for several months by then. As soon as I found out I was pregnant, I started weaning. Yeah. And um, a lot of doctors said just stay on them, and we'll wean your son after he's born. I didn't feel right about that. Mm-hmm. And so you know I had been off. So Percocet should have worked. Didn't touch it. I mean this was unreal. This is I, I, I live in chronic pain, and this was unreal. So um, this would be your ten out of ten. Y- yes, twelve maybe. 
it was I, I couldn't think I couldn't I hadn't I didn't sleep and it took two days for me to even see a doctor the nurses just kept brushing me off you're fine you're fine after two days a um, woman in a white coat said she was a doctor I did not recognize her she came in and she made me lay on my back and she tapped on my abdomen six times it was kind of like a dowsing rod or something it was I mean I think maybe you tore a ligament and left so after three days they uh, had not done any blood work they said you're not running fever even though it was I was hovering around 100 not quite though like mid 99s my normal body temperature is a 97 so by the time I get to 99 I'm uncomfortable and they're like you're fine you're fine you're fine would not let me see a doctor would not run any blood work to see if my white blood cell count was high or anything like that and three days after he was born they discharged me I could not walk to my own car Um, luckily the baby was still in the NICU I had not gone to see him in a day and a half and I'm an attached, like, I, I was into baby wearing, mm-hmm. you know, slings all the time. I breastfed, I, you know, all that. I would go near him. So wow. we get to our, we lived in a second floor walk-up, and I sat in the car, and I sobbed. I said, I can't do it. I cannot go on those stairs. My husband kind of was like, well, but, um, <laughs> can't stay in the car. I said, oh, well, <laughs> This is home now. <laughs> um, and so a fun little addendum to this whole experience. Remember, I told you that it was... The day that we were going to move was when I found out I was pregnant. Right. The day after my son was born was when we were supposed to go up and sign papers on the house to sell it. Oh. Or the the day after, I guess the day after I was discharged, so three days after he was born. So my husband first took me to the bank and had me sign power of attorney for him. While you're in this excruciating pain? Yeah, I would love to see the the cameras from the bank. (laughs) Those CCTV on that. I probably looked like I'd been drugged and was like being taken hostage. I was going to say, you probably have this look. You have this look of, like, pain and frustration and, like... I'm rocking by this point. By this point, I'm rocking and I'm literally, like, moaning. <laughs> They're probably like, what but, is wrong with this woman? Oh, know, it's just, fine. Just get her to sign this. Turning, get her out. Quick, quick, quick. It's fine. <laughs> if we don't ask so, questions, we won't have to do anything, guys. Just go. Go. Get her. Go. Go. So, after that, we went directly to the ER. I sat in the ER for four hours total strangers in the waiting room for four hours total strangers coming up to my husband saying we're praying for your wife yeah that's a weird thing that happens in the er waiting rooms man there's people who step up who are like can you get this lady help before you bring us back because we feel bad for her they were like they finally moved me to sit me on a bed out right immediately outside the ct scan room because i was upsetting the other patients and i'm like (laughs) how about you give me some you know give me some morphine and i'll stop upsetting them what do you say Right? Uh, I mean, I'm in I pain. I literally could not form a sentence. My husband had to spell my name for me because I was that. Oh, my gosh. I hadn't slept in three days by Right. Now. I mean, you're postpartum and, day three, and yeah, you've been so, in pain since, like, 12 hours after postpartum. Yeah. I, I was incoherent. Jesus. And as you can hear, usually I talk a lot. <laughs> what? No. You are so silent. I've had to do so much work to get this going. I know. I, well, I've also told this story a few times, so there's that. No. This is the first time. So this is fresh. They finally, they finally get me in a room, and they hit me with a shot of Dilaudid or something. Dilaudid. Probably And Dilaudid. suddenly, I'm coherent. And suddenly, I can report my medical history, and I can explain exactly what the symptoms are. You know, like... <sighs> like the heavens opened up. It was amazing. There were, a unicorn pooped on the floor. It was awesome. And it pooped rainbows. Yeah. <laughs> Sparkles and everything. I didn't even care. Yeah. So they're like, all right, well, you know what? Let's get you a CT scan and some blood work. So they draw the blood. And mm-hmm. now I'm not an easy stick. Um, fine. Whatever. By this point, I was just like, go for it. Have at it. See you later. Yeah. You're feeling a little uh, bit better. You're like, you know what? I might be a hard stick, but I feel all right. 
Go for it, nursing yeah, I, student. I, I, no, well, don't I allow. Stoned by this point. That was the problem. Is that they hit me with like a a cowload of Dilaudid, <laughs> and now I'm coherent. Like I'm not even getting a good buzz out of this. I'm just now able to form consonants. Like you've been brought down from that twelve to maybe what? What would you say? What would you say on that pain scale? Remembering oh, that eight, time, nine. I was still. You were still the up there, but I could not walk. I couldn't sit up on my own. Like I couldn't crunch. You know, crunches. Uh, no, but you know what I mean. Uh, uh, so Kate actually has a six pack. <laughs> any six packs I had involved alcohol, always, always, always. So they get the blood, they draw all the blood, and then they expedite me into CT. And so apparently the two came together at the same time, because all I know is that I'm being wheeled back out of the CT, and my ER nurse comes in and she says something to the the tech, and now the techs aren't supposed to tell you what they see. Right. We all know that the CT techs know exactly what they're looking at. They do. I mean, they can't diagnose. It's like nurses. We can't diagnose. We can't technically interpret things, but we know what we're looking at. I follow. I follow. Okay, fine. Liability, whatever. But... You know what you're looking at, though. No, I just had a pregnancy, right? I just, with ultrasound, I was considered... I was 32, and I'm considered advanced maternal age. (laughs) How'd you like that? Oh, that. But, all right, whatever. So I had a lot of ultrasounds or whatever. I had seen all manner of, you know, I've had a lot of ultrasounds and, and shit with my back. And I'm used to their poker face. They're good at a poker face. I, I mean, the, the first ultrasound I had to have with the pregnancy, we had no idea how to date it. Like, this is back when my husband and I had sex. I mean, whatever. So right. <laughs> it was, you know, who knows? Who knows how pregnant I was? Yeah. I, I, it was some, a yeah, lot, maybe a little, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And so... I'm able to deal with the fact that the first ultrasounds they do are internal, and they don't even buy you a drink first. They just no, come at you with a dildo, they and do. there you go. It's the good old transvag ultrasound. Um, sometimes when you get teenagers in the ER, and they, uh, man, they're, God bless pregnant moms that are also teenagers, because they know nothing about the transvag ultrasound, and then they go off to it, and they go, what happened? And you're like, I, we told you what would happen. There's only one way they can do that ultrasound. Well, next time buy them a drink first, they'll be better. You know, well, it is what it is. Yeah, that's probably a <laughs> good thing. At least introduce yourself. You know what I mean? That's don't right. Come at me from, don't come at me with a run. Please let me see a name them. badge. Please let me know that you work here and you're not just hovering around the halls. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. Right? Yeah. That would be fantastic. April I'm sure it's actually happened. I know. I'm like, I'm sure it's probably happened somewhere, unfortunately, that uh, somebody's impersonated I somebody. I bet. But, so... I'm used to that poker face. I've seen it a lot. Yes. And you are nurses. You know how you, you've met a few, I imagine. I, I know a few. I might know one or two. You might. It's an <laughs> unflappable breed. Yeah. Right? It's just, your, your poker face is excellent. There is the so nurse face. nurse comes in and says something to the tech, and both of them look at the screen, and both of them look at me and go, holy shit! The nurse face is gone. And I was like, oh boy. <laughs> this is not at all. That was not what I wanted to hear. That's not. No. No. Don't. So, I mean, there's. Would you rather, though, hear a holy shit or would you rather hear a hmm? That's interesting. Uh, that's interesting, I think. You want <laughs> that? That's interesting. Thinking there, you know, at least there's a layer of. of uh, something above the lizard brain. That's true. It's not just that immediate reaction. It's just, they just, I mean, whatever they're seeing is like, you know, on this black and white ultrasound, <laughs> on black and white CT screen, they're seeing it in color, right? right? It's bad. Yeah. So they wheel me back to the room, and it turns out that I was, mis- they, that they were mistaken. My maternity nurses, I did not have gas pain, 
my uterus had ruptured at the For site real? of my prior C-section. Oh my gosh! No yeah, wonder so you don't. No wonder you're like I'm. I'm not on board with the uh, with the whole vaginal birth after cesarean. Not anymore. Yeah. Uh, just because the aftercare was so lax, it was so I was treated like any other patient, and they never even considered this. And so you know, it's like, all right, you got gas pain, you got a ruptured organ. Same. And, and so that was going on for basically like when you gave birth is what it sounds like. I mean, because you had this twelve-hour oh, window, like right? Well. What we ultimately learned yeah. um, to, to go out of order is that someone in the delivery room had strep throat. Not group B strep, not the pregnancy strep. I was never pregnant enough to get tested for that, but they tested me later. Yeah. And it wasn't that. It was just plain old strep A. Strep throat. And, yeah. What? Strep A. And that, that got into my system vaginally because I had a very slight tear through the process oh, of took, birth. It was not even enough to need a stitch. It was just sort of normal birth process is not fun kind of deal. My son has a big fat head. All of them do. And so... There's some ripping and tearing. Yeah. Just enough for strep to get in my system. And my uterus being inflamed, having just given birth. Right. That sort of was attacked. And the fact that they ignored the symptoms long enough, that inflammation grew and became a rupture. Oh my gosh. Had paid attention to me even in 12 hours. Right. I probably ended up with a hysterectomy. And I would have needed to be on antibiotics for a bit, but that would have been the end of the story. Right, because we would have been done. I had three days to deal with this. They said, okay, and that's, that's what the ER is thinking at first. That let's, she needs a hysterectomy right now. We're going to take you up and do surgery tonight. Right. And I knew it was a big deal because I'm in the ER and the head of the outpatient OBGYN group came in to talk to me. The head of it, and they don't That's cross the streets, chief. Right? You, don't get, you don't get somebody to come into somebody else's territory like that. No, 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 no. So for them to actually come down, and you said they were coming down to the ER to talk to you, right? Yep, yep. Oh, see, that's, that is bad news bears. When you get, like, essentially the chief of a specialty to come down to the ER, they hate yeah. coming down to the ER. They're only going to come down there because somebody... You don't cross streets, right? Yeah. Right. And that's what they're, they're starting to circle the wagons now. So they bring me up, and they open, apparently, from what I understand... They give me the OR that night about 11 p.m. again. Mm-hmm. So now we're three full, uh, four full days, I guess. I'm trying yeah. to that. He was born on a Friday night. So Friday to Saturday, Sunday to Monday. So this is a Monday night. Okay. So, you know, uh, 72 hours after birth. Right. So you had um, three, three they plus. They opened me up and, from what I understand, opened me up and went, oh, shit. And closed me back up real quick. And I spent that night in the ICU. What? Because... By this point, I no longer simply, only, air quotes, have a ruptured uterus. I now have necrotizing fasciitis. Oh, my God. Okay, sorry. I. So tell I, us, Kim, what is necrotizing fasciitis? It is not good. It moves fast. People die within hours. I saw a neck fash on somebody once um, that was actually on their neck, which was funny to say neck fash on the neck. And it moved up so rapidly on this person, like, even within the hour or two we had them before they went to surgery to clean it all out, we were tracing it up all the way up their neck. Like, that's like in two hours. So, you had neck fash in your, in your uterus? Uh, Abdominally. Yeah, abdominally. Yeah. Oh! (laughs) So, that night, I spent that night in the ICU. How are you alive? that night is one of the worst of my life because that night I swelled up. Yeah. Um, just those tissues got so inflamed. Up, I mean, I was able to lay there with my hands on the, on the arm, on the, on the rails mm-hmm. of the bed and watch 
is my fingers got so fat I couldn't close them anymore oh on the bed rails. I had already had my husband take all my rings. Yeah. Um, Thank God you did. I was, I, I, now let's remember I haven't slept in a long time. Right. I started to believe that I was going to develop so much that something was going to rupture externally. And so I started begging my ICU nurse, come and rub my hands. Like to rub keep the swelling down? From fingertip to palm like a tube of toothpaste. I can't do it because I've got IVs in both hands by now. Right. And so I can't move. I have bad veins, always have. And so if I move, the, the IVs slide out real quick. So I'm asking them, come and rub my hands because I'm afraid. And they said, no, it's not going to help. And I'm like, it's going to help my head. Yeah. It might not help my head, but it's going to help my head. They wouldn't do it. And so I decided that's, that's that awful. if my hands were going to rupture, it was going to be right at the base of a fingernail. That made sense to me because somewhere in there, it's got to stop being nail and, and start being. Like, so, so I figured that's where it's going to be. Yeah. That's a bad thought process to have. <laughs> but you were so just your mind. I mean, I'm just trying to think of this because you you have this pain. You find this out. You do all this. And your son is still a NICU. So... And I'm still doing the, the, you talk about baby blues. I'm doing them in purples yes. and reds too. You got uh, the whole, I'm, you're at magenta, I'm, you're at all of it. You're at yeah, violet, you're at wherever you need to be on the baby blues because like, oh my gosh. That's, I'm worried about my other kids. We don't know yes. who has strep. Turns out one of my one of my older kids did. But again, there's no way to, it could have been me. Like there's no way yeah. to know who it was that was like patient zero in the delivery room. Right. But, you know, could have gone from my throat through systemically yeah. into my bloodstream. Like there's no way to know. But my daughter ended up also having strep. So she got a course of antibiotics as well, but everybody has to get tested. I'm worried about the baby. I'm worried about, you know, I'm a psychologist, so I'm worried about things like attachment and shit at this point. Like, is he going to even know who I am when I get out of the hospital? It's I like, haven't you haven't been the there. Of, am I going to get out of the hospital? Oh you my know, gosh. That, that came. Oh, so you I, like, had that thought process. And, Which, I mean, come. honestly, you know, with neck fash in the equation, it's not surprising you have that thought process of if I get out of the hospital, right? Because that's such a bad news bear situation to get well, that one. I have not there yet. Because uh, I wasn't through, now I've been real careful my whole life not to learn about medical shit until I have to learn about medical <laughs> shit. You don't want to get scared, essentially. Well, because, yeah, exactly. Otherwise you end up being paranoid or whatever. It's so, a knowledge is uh, power yeah. thing. Yeah. Backfires. Um, so I kind of knew what neck bash was, but I don't, again, you know, you hear you never about looked it, like, at the pictures. cut or something. Or I had heard about it. There's a, a variant of heroin that is... Now, I live in Salem, Mass. The next town over is Lynn, which is, like, internationally famous for its heroin capital of the world. It's that's cute. Rock on, Massachusetts. I don't think it is anymore, but that's the, the reputation. That was on and the tourism. there's a form of street heroin floating around called Crocodile. Oh, with spelled with a K. Yeah. Yeah. Straight out of Russia. And you see that a lot in Florida, too. Sorry. I just know that offhand. Causes... Uh, necrotizing fasciitis absolutely oh that's like the stuff that they like they'll put well i mean you can look it up if you want to if you want to go down that rabbit no, no, hole no you don't want to i don't care who you are you don't no wanna. i mean that's like literally eating people's bones and like there's yeah. kerosene in it there's gasoline in it and it's supposed mm-hmm. to cause this high and it's big in russia and it's awful yeah i had seen it externally i had not ever thought about it as an internal thing so i hadn't gotten there like because you've seen the neck fast that rationally. way by this point so the next morning they did two things to me that tipped me over that edge. First thing was, they, well, they told me, uh, first thing tomorrow morning, you're going to be airlifted down to Mass General. Damn. From Salem. Well. Now, Salem is about 10 miles away from Mass General. 
but we don't think we can get you there fast enough in an ambulance. Damn. Okay. Trying to absorb that. Yeah. So the next morning, the first thing they did was, as they're getting me ready, you know, and apparently it takes a lot to prep somebody. A lot of standing around talking, mostly. That seems to be the thing that has happened. It it actually, yeah, no, that's that's very true. Uh, I, not too long ago, had to evac a patient and, or not evac, I'm sorry, we had to transfer a patient to, because where I'm at right now is a little bit outside of Houston, so they had to go to Houston, to Herman, and damn, there's a lot of standing around. Uh, well, a lot of paperwork, and I get it, and everything's yes. got to be aligned just so, and you've got to wait true. for, like, the, the, the sun to come over the yard arm or whatever, I don't know. And but, I mean... So, there's also sometimes the patient is stable-ish, and yeah. suddenly and they become unstable. You know, and they were giving me enough drugs that I was coherent. Right. My husband was but you there. Weren't gorked. Um, friends of mine had shown up. My, you know, I had my my parents were. My dad uh, lived in New Hampshire, and he had come down, and a friend of mine, shout out to Lauren, had come down Lauren. and brought Willem coffee, which was a a big deal that morning. Um, and, uh, just sort of everybody, you know, stuff's happening, whatever. And everybody's trying to keep it light. Like there's no freaking out. It's not going to do anybody any good. And that thing happens where the room gets quiet all at the same time. My husband jokes about, uh, his line is, and I'm going to get my testicles laminated. (laughs) And that's when it gets quiet. That's what'll happen. Just at the moment when the room goes quiet. Where in this case, the room goes quiet and one of the big scary doctors says to another, well, I hope she gets down there in time to find out what was wrong with her. No! Past tense. Who is that doctor? Did you see them? (laughs) I wasn't collecting autographs by this point. You should have been. Next time. Next time? (laughs) Hey, when this happens again. (laughs) I'm getting names. I don't know, but that, I'm I'm, I'm processing that word was. Yes, absolutely. find out what was wrong with her processing that and a couple minutes later there's sort of a disturbance on the other side of the room and I turn and look and three or four of the nurses from the maternity unit have gone up to the NICU and collected my son's wheeled bassinet cage glass french fry warmer thing that the you incubator in. that's the one is that it I think and they wheeled place. him down to the ICU to say goodbye to me stop oh my god so, so how was that, Kate? Like, okay, what's that? How was that one, Kate? How did you like yeah. being told <laughs> that you're going to say yeah. goodbye okay. to your newborn? Well, he's going to say goodbye to his mom. And, and, you know, the implication was, this is it. This is your chance to, you know, this is the last time you're ever going to see your kid. Oh, my God. And I wouldn't let them bring him near me because we, you know, we don't know what's wrong. Right. They, they've said, well, we don't know. We don't know what this is. We don't know what this is. You're just sick. Something is, we don't know. Which we is also know. kind of weird that they were like, let's wheel this baby down from NICU. To yeah. say goodbye to his mom, who we don't know what's going on with her. I'm airlifted down. I remember it very clearly. This is He was born March 5th. And so this is March 8th, March 9th, the morning of March 9th, that I'm airlifted down uh, to MGH. And, and it's a beautiful day. We made it from Salem to Boston during rush hour traffic in like 15 minutes, which is amazing. That's amazing. I've never been in a helicopter before. Now um, you're going to just exclusively uh, travel in style. Yeah, apparently. So, <laughs> Uber helicopter. I remember landing. I remember landing on the on the roof of MGH, and it's very Grey's Anatomy moment. You know, people waiting on the roof, bending yes. over and yes. windy and whatever. And that's all I remember. We're done. That's where it ends. That's where you last. That's where it goes black. Really? So um, what's the next memory then? Apparently, I when 
I got to MGH, I was pissed off. I can't imagine why. I'm not sure. But apparently I was very, not agitated like, you know, the agitated that we can see in the ER agitated. Right. But Not crisis agitated. Yeah. The agitated of, I'm just pissed off that somebody has done this to me and I don't care who, fix it. And so they, they were pretty happy to put me, I think they... They called in the anesthesiologist early, frankly. <laughs> for they had them on standby. They saw that helicopter landing, and they were like, uh-uh-uh-uh, get them in, get them in, get them in. Yeah. So they put me under for uh, my first surgery there at MGH, and I did not come out. Like, I, I kind of did. I kind of revived after the surgery, but not well. And so they ended up throwing some propofol in the mix and keeping me under mm, in a coma okay. because I was not doing well. So, uh, So you didn't... I mean, you made it through the procedure, but they were, must have been worried about your body just handling what was done. I mean, there must have been something... They couldn't get ahead of the neck fash. Yeah. So that probably uh, caused it I had to be the, just in, that I was in a coma unstable. for 10 days. Um, on day five, they told my husband, we don't know what's causing this. And the problem with necrotizing fasciitis is that it is an opportunistic bacterial yes. infection. and it moves and fast. if you can't find what the initial cause is it kind of just keeps coming back. Yep. You know, they can protect against it to an extent, but, you know, if they can't, even if they get rid of the neck bash, you're still very, very sick, and they couldn't figure it out. Salem had told them, well, we tested her for strep. The problem is that Salem tested for group B strep. Not group A. And so the the lab, and so on day five, they told my husband, we don't know what's wrong. You should probably start planning the funeral. They Um, told that to your husband. Well, you know, we're not from here. So you got family in from out of town and shit like that. Like say your goodbyes, bring yeah. in everybody. That's really what it was. You know, yeah. cause I was, I was not doing She's well. not going to make it through the night. I woke up on day 10. It was the next day that they figured out it was strep that had caused this. And so, you know, 10 days of penicillin would have knocked us out. Yeah. Had they done it immediately, but instead. So instead you were comatose. Strep, they start treating me and I started to get better. And so I came out of the coma on St. Patrick's Day. Nobody brought me any beer. Like and you're back out. east. That's like, come on now. I mean, isn't yeah. that like a bigger deal back east with St. Patrick's Day? You'd think that well, the physicians. I'm Irish. Come on. There you go. Yeah. That's true too. You would think that you're the physicians. To bring through the IV. Exactly. Know? Uh, you know what? We have in some hospitals they do have beer for DTS for patients. Yeah, yeah. We yeah we always had vodka. Uh, yep. Yeah. Well, that and if you have a uh, uh, antifreeze poisoning, that's. Yep. That's the remedy for that is, uh, straight up, give them some vodka. That's what, that's what they say. They tell you that actually with poison control. Be like, give them four shots of a high spirit. And you're like, what? Give them four shots of vodka? Okay. All right. I'll party with them. We had, we, oh, we, I never got desperate enough at work to actually use it, but it was really nice to know that it was there. Right. You're just like, uh, I'm going to call pharmacy real quick. Well, well, we kept it in the, in the, because one of the ERs I worked at has like a locked psych area. Oh, yeah, it's like an independent unit. And so it had, like, a separate nursing station, and it had its own little fridge and that kind of deal, and there were nips in there. There were nips in there. So I called down a little one-shot. There's several of those, and they were (laughs) labeled, but who really cares? It's like a mini bar. You can refill them with water. Yeah, yeah. So, um... So you come out of it. uh, They had... Well, I was in the coma. So I was in the coma for 10 days. I had 13 surgeries. All, Uh, All within, basically, just, like, pelvis, uterine... Trying to figure all out. I, all, I, all I lost, as far as organs are concerned, is yeah. my uterus. You know, full, radical hysterectomy. So all yeah. the uterus, ovaries, all that shit. But I didn't lose anything else. Now, I had an 18-inch incision from sternum to pelvis. 
And I also had a grapefruit-sized hole through my abdominal wall on the side. Just trying to find where the neck fascia was and taking it out? Yeah, because it got into the the muscle wall and my abdominal wall. And so that's... So the the sternum to pelvis, that was the nice, neat incision to deal with. That's cute. Um, Looks great. And to to deal with the internal necrotizing fasciitis that way, but it also started to grow through my muscle and and skin, you know, basically from the inside out. And so I was great for sight. Now, I had no idea people could live through that. Yeah. I was afraid I was going to, like, sneeze and lose my goddamn spleen. Right. I mean, it's just going to slip out. Uh, why not? You know, if you've, uh. <laughs> if you've got the means. No. You, well, the yeah. good thing is you don't need your spleen. So if your spleen slipped out, it'd be fine. Yeah, but you know what? Who's going to clean it out? i got three kids. Gonna That's true. Me. It's no. going to be laying on that floor until you get back to it. Yeah, pretty much. Stuff on it. Give me to the cat. Whatever. <laughs> so I... um Might be good. We don't know. Stayed in the hospital for six weeks. Like when I came out of the coma, they said nine months at least. You're going to be in the, ho- the hospital until, you know, the next year. Jesus. Basically because... And you have a newborn. And I laughed at them. No. No, I am. I am done with hospitals. Thank (laughs) you very much. After three and a half weeks, they moved me to a, like a rehab hospital close to home. I was almost discharged right away, but then I had very anemic and they thought I had internal bleeding. So I I was delayed for a bit. But when I was discharged, I still had those wicked surgical wounds and I was on a vac. Ooh, like a wound vac? Uh, Yes. Oh, with complete with the sponge stuff and the little machine Those on it. Are, okay, so, all of the stuff that I've had, right? Yeah. Actually, my ten, my my worst pain is actually day they moved me from the ICU to the regular surgical floor. Now mm. NGH is a teaching hospital. Mm-hmm. Right, and let me throw some the statistics they told me about what I experienced. Yeah. Is that about four million women in the U.S. give birth every year? Of those 4 million, about 100 develop a necrotizing fasciitis secondary to strep the way that I did. So wait, how many? Of 4 million births. Yeah. 100 cases Jesus. of abdominal necrotizing fasciitis secondary super, to strep. So super small percentage. <laughs> of those 100 women, 98 die. Super one small percentage. All live. four limbs. Shoot. And one walks away. Wow. Jazz hands. That's right. Who's the winner on that one? <laughs> Apparently. Guess who has two thumbs and can do guess who has two thumbs? You can. I have <laughs> almost all of my toes. That's a whole other story. <laughs> That'll uh, be for another episode down the line, folks. Oh, oh totally. Yes. And I the hell out of this. I don't care. Whatever. Okay, so, sorry. To I... wrap this up. So a wound I was going to say, back. so we're back, we're back at it. You survived. So to a wound back. Wound vac, right? So Ugh, what wound was vacs. it? Two thousand, I want to say three something ish. The first big earthquake that hit Haiti in the early two thousands. I don't remember offhand either, but I know what you're talking about. All right, some sadist down there discovered that if you apply vacuum pressure to a wound, it closes faster. So now Massachusetts, being a teaching hospital, and being that I have just gone through this statistically completely rare thing i had a constant stream of doctors to visit me just to say they've laid eyes on that patient that survived it you want to know why it's because basically whenever a resident or an attending finds out they got a good patient for that everybody knows absolutely no so i was a rock star i had visitors all day long yes you did so i get off the now so far after i came out of the coma i stayed in the icu for like two days 
And those two days, when they were ready to do, I had to do, you have to do the back wound dressing change, like, every other day, every third day, something like that. And you have to take and out, like, all the packing in there, and, like... It's miserable. And so, the, those, the, when I was still in the ICU, they just put me back under for a couple hours mm-hmm. to do it as a surgical procedure. Ooh. Then, to get, once I'm on the surgical floor, now it's considered, let's just do this. The problem is, they didn't let the nurses do it. All the doctors and the residents and attendings and their friggin' grandmothers wanted to watch this happen. No. So, And they correct, don't know how to do it. A correct, so a correct wound back change involves give the patient an Ativan and pain meds an hour ahead of time. Right. Turn off the vacuum. Right. Then an hour later. That's a big step. Do your thing. Instead, they walked in and said, okay, we're going to do this. We'll give you pain meds after. Bang. And they started. They did not turn off the vacuum. They just went and they took out all the packing. I have never had to be restrained for a procedure in my life before that. They had to literally hold me. I have never been in pain like that. Well, because they're pulling out at a tissue. They're not. Yeah. And the vacuum's still on. Yeah. Somebody described it one time that you literally can feel like your organs being sucked out. Not sucked out, obviously. It's not. No, no, absolutely sucked out. My brain was being sucked out. Yeah, like you feel that vacuum pressure, and that's why, like, people hate the wound vac so much, especially the bigger the wound area. But, I mean, it does bring together stuff a lot quicker. But at the same time, if you do that packing wrong, you're screwed. Jesus Christ. So, yeah, so, you know, what it is, so once they clean you all out, which is miserable, all by itself, and then they pack it with sort of sponge-like material, and then they cover it with the white uh, gauze. Yes. And then on top of that is Tegaderm, which is like, I still have packages of Tegaderm around my house, which is like the (laughs) real big clear plastic sheets that go over wounds. And it sticks Um, pretty damn well. Yeah. And so that's, that's, I mean, that's good stuff. I was just leaving that all over the house. I was sticking it on the cats. It was fun. Uh, But... That's how it's supposed to be, you know, and so the, so this vacuum pump then sticks into the sponge under the tegaderm in a way that I had to carry a purse with me all the time, but don't ever open the purse. No, that's because attached that to my organs. Sucked, actively sucked out of your wound. <laughs> don't look at this purse. This is not, it's Thank not a Gucci. It's not a Gucci. Do Gucci make purses? I don't know. I don't know. Probably Michael Kors. It's not a Michael Kors. It is better because it has my I mean, organ know. juices. <laughs> I, don't, I have a pretty high skeeve tolerance and this was horrible you know horrible. what shout out to wound care nurses who do that and like home health oh nurses because well and thank god so i was on visiting nurse care i you know because i pushed to push to push to get out and so at six weeks i was out of the hospital instead of nine months yeah i had three babies at home i had to go home you had a newborn and the NICU kept him for a, i think a total of like 10 days from his birth he came home from the hospital while i was still in the coma but they kept him because they knew they'd screwed up like when the hospital was like i told Willem. My husband, I'm like, you should have asked for an Australian vacation at this point because the hospital they would have given it to you. Anything they could to keep us happy by then. Please and, don't uh, sue and us. then Please while don't I was still us. in the coma, my mom uh, lived in upstate New York, like six hours away. She works as a social worker and had her own business. She closed that up. She kenneled her dog, closed her house, and moved in yeah. so that my husband could keep going to work and my kids had somebody consistent because my husband realized like every single day somebody new was getting my kids off the bus. So my mom did a great job. And the nice thing is my mom. And I, as far as babies are concerned, we parent very similarly. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, when so my mom went any back clash. home, my son sort of just turned to me like, okay, your turn, we're good. So there were never the attachment problems I was scared of with him. Right. 
when I was on visiting nurse care. And so you get visiting nurse care, VNA, Visiting Nurse Association. Yes. When you are considered too sick to go to the hospital, to go to the doctor for these appointments regularly. So I would go to the wound clear clinic about once a month. And otherwise I had the VNA like two, three days a week. And uh, that was nine months before my, my surgical wounds closed up. So how many scars do you have? Do they look great? Do you ever go, hey, check out my scars? My, I have a camisole on 24-7. I mean, I practically sh- I, I shower in the dark. Yeah. I can't. It's just, I mean, my husband bothers me. Right. And I mean, I, I can understand where that's coming from because it's, it's probably like just this, this reminder of what happened. And for some people, they'd it's be not, like, it's, I am not symmetrical. Yeah. I yeah. You see a huge gouge on my right side. Where that, where they uh, had to take everything out. Yeah. Where there was a hole at one point. You yeah. Know? Just from the um, neck flash. And my, the, the scar that I have vertically is not centered. It's mm. slightly off. So I just, yeah. Whatever, it, just, it is what it is. I'm alive. Hey, that's that seems to be somewhat of a reoccurring theme that I hear a lot from people that at least have told me their story on here and that I learn about is that it is what it is. And you go on, you live your life, and you do what you can to kind of figure out what's going on and how to keep keep on keeping on, I guess. That first nine months, say, was hard and painful, but it kind of always made sense that it was hard and painful because, look! Yeah. Right? I mean, I still have open surgical wounds. You're healing. Uh-huh. And it takes a long time to heal at any age. So many secondary things come up. Like, you're not just healing. So we talked about all the fingers and toes. I go to my first wound clinic after I've been discharged from the hospital. So Mm -hmm. I've been home like two days. We go back into the wound clinic. And this Russian resident or maybe high school student, I don't know, (laughs) walks in the room with, I swear to you, a pair of bolt cutters. Stop it. A pair of (laughs) bolt cutters? I hear we're here to take your toe. And I was like, what? what? Huh, here's Whose room are you in? Yeah. So I, when you are, I have, I, I developed sepsis also. Oh, and sepsis right, is not, not good. Um, not a surprise. When you've got necrotizing fasciitis, you're already very sick. Sepsis, your blood just, it's just another way to get infected. Right. Right. And you're in coma, you're not moving very much. And on top of that, I have Raynaud's disorder. So my circulation is not good. Your circulation is shit. You can, you can lose fingers and toes because of this, because you're not moving very much. You're not right. getting blood flow. Right. Even though I had these, like, the fancy legging things that... The little inflate. compressions. Yeah. The SCDs, uh, the sequential compression move. devices. Isn't it STD? Isn't that what you get when you have sex indiscriminately? It's an, S, it's an SCD. Oh. So see, C stands for compression. It's a different form of what's going on in the bedroom. It's, it goes on in some beds, but, you know, that's a whole nother yeah. thing. That's a particular set of people who are into particular things. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, it's very much like Seinfeld. Not that there's anything wrong with that. There might be something wrong with that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't. So even with those, I didn't have very good circulation, and a couple of my toes were blue and even one went black while I was, you know, so they're, now they're worried about gangrene. Of course. Right? Yeah. And I can feel that toe, like, not very well, like, there's less feeling there, but I can still feel it, so I'm like, no, you're not fucking taking it until we absolutely need to, and as soon as I was able to get off out of the ICU and down onto the surgical floor, I started asking, well, because they're like, there's nothing we can do, there's nothing, there's no treatment for this, you just wait until your toe falls off, yeah. and I was like, well, how about Epsom salts, because it felt like the skin was, there's something, you know, why don't Epsom salts, you know, soften the skin, why not, Right. and they're like, we don't even know what that is. <laughs> It's a, yeah, it's a teaching hospital, right? So they brought, I, I had the, you know, I used the, the puke pans and put Epsom salts and warm water in that. And I did that all through the, the hospital, all through the rehab hospital, and ultimately did not lose my toe. There that you go. Tip. You saved your tip. own skin, literally. But so 
So he walks in like with his bolt cutters, like we're here to take your toe. I'm like, oh fucking no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I object, I sir. <laughs> with that white coat anxiety thing, n- no, I am not intimidated by a white coat anymore. No, so, you're like, you're like, you guys report to me. Yeah. So I was like, no, 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 you're here to change my wounds, and he actually left. He wouldn't come back in. I developed MRSA at the wound clinic because why not? What else? Oh, I lost all my hair. Because the body just sort of freaks out sometimes. And so... It kind now, of redirects all, things. You always lose hair. Anyway, like your hair falls out. It just does. People's hair fall out. You know, a little at a time, but then it grows back in and you don't notice. Right. Uh, during pregnancy, your body stops that. You don't lose the hair. And so you end up with this... That's why so many pregnant women have fabulous hair. It's like... It's true. You know... They have that glow the and they got that thick hair. You one thing. You know, you can have one thing. Your hair and your nails are going to grow in really thick and beautiful. It's going to be great. But you're going to carry around an extra 50 pounds. Go. But you're going to look glamorous like you should be in a Pantene ad. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, after pregnancy, your body lets go of all that hair that it's been hanging on to for nine months. And so it can be terrifying because you, you're, you're suddenly running your finger through your hair and you're like, oh, look, a hamster. <laughs> um, and so I need to expect this. this is my third baby, right? But it kept happening. Yeah. Um, and it kept happening, and I ended up losing all my hair. Jeez. Uh, and they, their response was, well, this is what we call, uh, what was the fancy, uh, telogen effluvium. Oh. Which sounds like a sci-fi, you know, like a like a progressive rock, you know, experimental band. It sounds like maybe the name of a retreat, or no, no, no. What it sounds like is a Yanni CD that they advertise at 2 a.m. It's telogen effluvium. Doesn't it? Like, you can see him in a field playing a harp or something. And losing all your hair. The harp strings are made of all of my hair. <laughs> That's how we bring um, it back around. A friend of mine, Gretchen, had asked me to be the maid of honor in her wedding. And I ended up I'm there with very, very short hair. And I don't pull that off very well. But mm-hmm. we decided that I would rather look like her butch friend than her sick friend. So, so what you're saying is that you can't pull off the cut even though you are a mom. No, no, this was a shaved, tight, shaved. This is not a pixie. Oh, it didn't. It didn't <laughs> have the length. Uh, you know, okay. You know how they use with babies, especially baby girls in the old. Not so much now, I don't think. But how they literally glue a bow on a baby girl's head for the newborn photos. <laughs> yeah. That's what I had to do with the clip. Oh head. man, they do like now. I think they do like the little headband with the flower on the side, so it's like all all cute and everything. So we um, don't know baby fashion. Yeah. That was that was good stuff. And so right around Thanksgiving, my wounds were almost closed. They no longer, I mean, they stopped the back. And it reached a point where they were like, oh, you can do this outpatient anymore. You don't need the VNA coming in anymore. Mm-hmm. And effectively, the message I was getting from the medical community is, okay, you're fine. This is it. Good luck. And now I still didn't feel okay. I, mean, I haven't felt okay for nine months, but it made sense that I didn't feel okay because look at me. Yeah. Right? But now all of a sudden they're like, this is it. Nothing's wrong with you anymore. Really? Except I still wasn't right. And, you know, so let's take postpartum depression. Let's add some PTSD into it because, you know, PTSD comes from actual or perceived threat to your life. And guess what? Yeah. You had a bit of both uh, at various times. Uh, I, and so when all of a sudden that, that sort of support, you know, of having the VNA come in and check on me and the validation of people saying, yes, something's wrong with you, that went away, I fell apart. I ended up having to be psychiatrically admitted uh, for suicidal ideation on Thanksgiving night. Uh, mom guilt. Well, the mom guilt that I had was of not being there with the kids, but then I thought I'd rather not be here for a couple of days than not be here ever again. 
um, because I was actively envisioning myself pouring all of my pills all. And now by this point, they had started giving me opiates and they had started doing it higher and higher and higher dosages. And now I'm on literally the maximum human dose of something called Opana, which is a longer acting. It's not common on the street. Good stuff. You know, it worked well. You didn't get, don't get much of a buzz of it. You just sort of, it works. But now I'm on the maximum human dosage and I know I am. And so I know there's nowhere to go. Taking more wasn't helping. And I'm still feeling like shit. Like I, and now it's all crashing down and I'm actively envisioning all, because I'm not on really a whole lot of other drugs anymore. All my other symptoms, there's nothing to medicate. And, but I'm picturing taking all of that, everything I've got, and just, just, I'm just going to take it all and I'm going to lay down. And then just, yeah, just go to sleep, sleep. Because that's what they told me that if, when I came out of the hospital from the maternity unit and I I sat in my minivan and cried because I couldn't go up those, those 18 steps Mm -hmm. to get into my house. They said that, you know, if you had done that, you would have died. Because you would have made it up those steps, you would have laid down, and you would have not gotten up again. I was saying that would have been it. Yep. And so that's where I was at now, nine months later. I was like, I just, I cannot, I'm not a good enough mother to my kids. I'm not a good enough wife. I'm not functioning anymore. I can't work anymore. I had gotten denied for disability from Social Security. So I'm just feeling completely, uh, I'm nothing but a drain on anybody. Mm-hmm. So I went to a psych hospital, and it wasn't helpful in the sense that, like, it didn't make me feel better, but it kept me safe for the weekend. So, and just as your background, I mean, this is like, you're a, you're a psychologist. You're, you're I have a crisis clinician. Yeah. You're, I've done it. I've, I've hospitalized hundreds of people and now I'm on the other side of it. Uh, it's horrible. And I, I mean, I always knew it was horrible. I just extra knew. And, but you, you, so, you knew from the, the other side of the things and now it's like, you are the person who needs that help. Yep. And I mean, people did the best they could. Right. Um, but it's stressed but, out understaffed resources. And psych hospitals are, uh, and this is the whole, a whole other episode, but yes. <laughs> psych hospitals are not equipped to deal with the kind of situational anxiety, depression, PTSD, all of that that I had. That's not what they're for. They're for containment while you were in crisis, a little bit of med adjustment. Right. They're for making sure that you have connections and contacts in the outside world, mm-hmm. you know, outpatient therapists or whatever. Resources, yeah. They just can't do much more. Uh, they can't um, do long-term things. Uh, not at all. They, no, they, the they don't have the resources. Are about setting you up. Social workers are setting you up with, with resources. They, they talk to you some, but you don't have time to build any sort of relationship. And they have Average so many more people. Days, three days. Yeah. yeah. They have so many and, clients. And it's, it's, there's a lot. I mean, the, the, the psychologists that are there are there to diagnose. They're not there to treat. It's just you can't. It's just not how it works. And so... But that's our digression. <laughs> but it is. And, and fine. You know, you can digress. I can digress. Everybody digress. I love it. I love tangents. They're great. Sign of a cosine. It's all good stuff. So I uh, spent the next year taking way too many opiates, struggling greatly, and just generally, I mean, it was it was rough. That second year was honestly worse than the first in a lot of ways. Because other people don't look at you, you know, but you don't look sick. Right. Uh, which now, is a shitty way to be treated in our society, but it is what it is. If you don't have a broken uh, arm, sometimes people don't think there's anything wrong with you. It's That's the right. way I've... I've equated is that when it's all inside and internal, even if it's in your in your mind or uh, in your body in some way, shape or form or both, it's so much harder for people to believe you than it is if you had your leg hanging off with it spurting out blood that there's something wrong. Yeah. But well, I, it's equally yeah, urgent. I don't run fevers. You know, I, I, I don't run. I don't spike high fevers. Mm-hmm. I never did through all of this. My blood pressure never went up all that much. You know, my, my heart rate never went up all that high. So on the vials, I don't look sick. 
Right. Now, a year later, I really don't look sick. And people stop asking, people stop checking in. You know, that first year, that first, you know, all of 2010, really, my friends that lived nearby worked with my husband to build a calendar so that twice a week, one of my friends was, would come and force me to be sociable, or to get out of the house if I could, to interact. And that made a huge difference. And that second year, everybody's like, oh, hey, you know what? I got to go back to my life. Right. You're good and now. They start asking you instead of telling you I'm coming. They say, do you want company? Well, it's too easy to say no. Right. No, I don't. And I, I didn't want, and I don't want to ask anymore. You know, I'm tired of being that person. And um, so that second year was really hard on everybody. And I just didn't feel my, like myself. I didn't understand it. I didn't, I couldn't make life make sense in a way. I couldn't function. Everybody kept saying the catchphrase is post-coma syndrome. Post-coma syndrome, that's what you have, post-coma syndrome, because people come out of comas with cognitive and neurological shit. I came out, when I came out of the coma immediately, I had lost the year prior. Really? I could not recall my pregnancy at all. None of it. I could not recall having gone to Paris three months before with my mom and my sisters. Like these monumental moments. Nothing. I mean, I knew because I was... Okay, so... Uh, I lost, I lost, I had some, I still do it now, you can hear, I, I struggle for words, but then it was bad, it was full on word aphasia, I, really? uh, word space aphasia, uh, you cannot find the word, now, I'm used to being super high functioning, mm-hmm. right, left high school a year early, went to an engineering school and graduated with a psych degree, doctoral level, you know, I like, I'm smart, and now I can't come up with a word for a stool, yeah. I literally, I could point, in, and it, so now we would try to make jokes about it. So we still refer to those as the magical things that make you taller. But that's how you got but, it out. You know, and so I could not write. Time. I had forgotten how to write. So if you compare my handwriting now to before the comma, it's totally different. Really? I form letters differently. Because you had to like teach yourself it all over again, huh? Yep. Um, I could type. So I had a blog. I had a blog, and I was in touch with my friends that way. But I couldn't. I couldn't handwrite. And the early examples, like. Um, I have learned the power of a written note mm-hmm. from way back, and I knew that I was not going to be able to keep track of names or, or notes or shit like that with everything else going on. So, like, as, literally as they're wheeling me out of the ICU to bring me down to the medical floor, I'm scribbling a note to the nurses in the ICU, thank you, yeah. and leaving it. And that note, my husband saw it later, he was like, it, it looked like your grandmother wrote it, you know, shaky in this weird script and totally different um and and still not like now i have much better handwriting than i used to but partly because it's still conscious i still have to think about how to form every letter i can't scrawl like it's I not to, like I natural the, i used to give the raw shock as part of my job yeah and when you get the raw shock you have to write down every word the person says because that's sort of a, it's not a secret i guess but it's just part of the raw shock. it's not so much what you say is how you say it and why it's not what you see but it's why you see it what makes it look like that and so i have to write down everything you say verbatim and i'm not supposed to use a recording device just to be within the bounds of how the test is supposed to be given and so i used to be able to do that mm-hmm. and i used to transcribe uh, as, a, as a side job lectures and stuff and i used to be able to type almost at speech rate and now i'm like barely able to figure out my abcs so major cognitive issues and and neuro i mean the, the shakes slowed down pretty quick but i could not get over how fast you lose muscle mass and muscle the strength. atrophy that I was happens. in a coma for 10 days. Just 10 days. I could not bear weight at all. Could couldn't, not bear my own weight. So you to couldn't the point even walk. where I had a 
court the first morning that I'm on the medical floor off, out of the ICU. I needed the bathroom, and the nurse didn't come fast enough, and it was bad. Bad, 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 bad stuff happened. I, you know, I was just blown away. I mean, the cerebellum chunk of your brain that deals with things like coordination and movement yep. does not like laying still for a week. Right. And so it rebelled. And doesn't bit. probably like being drugged up as well for a week, and then some. Yeah, well, a little propofol never killed anybody except... Jackson. <laughs> Sorry. So all kinds of stuff. The amnesia never came. I still don't recall. So you still have issues year, with it. Because I was a blogger and I was, I mean, I was pretty, in, like, was I big? No, not even in Japan. But I had a reasonable <laughs> following. I had three to 500 hits a day. Yeah. I mean, there was an audience. Following and a lot of people. And so it's, it's out there. You can you can find it. But there's several years missing between right. the blog and the podcast where I didn't want to keep track of my life anymore. That's why I, part of why I stopped is because when you are sick, you learn very quickly online that people are okay with the occasional update. But if it's too negative, too long, people hear it as whining or complaining. Right. Or they're just they overwhelmed. Yeah. They're just like, I don't know how to help you anymore. I'm going to tune you they out. They want you to feel better. They do. I think it comes from a good place. They want you to feel better. And then when you don't, they just can't, they can't tolerate that. And so they, I mean, you learn a whole lot about who your friends are. Let me tell you. And that's the sad part maybe too. Well, I mean, one of my closest friends in the world, she was in the delivery room when I had Isaac, does not speak to me, has not spoken to me in years. So, I mean, it's an education. Is it sort of like the thing? I mean, I mean, going through my own stuff and, and what happened with, with my family, do you still leave the door open, though, for that person? If they ever came back and were like, hey, and wanted to sit I down know. and tell you, like, I'm sorry? I would listen, but I don't tr- trust anymore. Sh- screw me once, shame on you. Screw me twice, shame on me. The moral is you learn a whole lot about who your friends are. You learn a whole lot about yourself. I mean, all that just... And I mean, you have... Your kids are healthy, and... My kids are healthy. My son never had... Any adverse effects from his childbirth being a disaster. I mean, we don't talk to him about how hard the process... Because his birth wasn't the hard part. No. It was everything thereafter at hour, like, 12 that started this cascade that changed your life eight years ago. Also, happy eighth birthday to him. Yeah. Yep. We just... We had his birthday party this past weekend, and it was a nightmare for me. It was an (laughs) indoor trampoline park, and... (laughs) I can't go on trampolines, and so it's just kids, and that's like Chuck E. Cheese, but three-dimensional. And And it's just like, spray. oh, it's an orthopedics dream. Are you kidding me? Oh, God. You have to sign two different waivers. Yes, you do. Just bring your kid there, which I think is pretty funny. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you no, know, he's doing good. The older two have seen shit that I really wish they'd never seen. It's not that I feel guilty, but I feel horrible that they've had to see that. But the flip side is they are incredibly caregiving kids and they're incredibly resilient nobody wants their kids to have to go through bad shit but if you don't go through bad shit as a child then you become an adult with very limited coping skills because you've never been tested in a way and as a kid you go through bad stuff and you can learn those coping skills in a you know direct and protected way and right. talk things through whereas an adult they're sort of like okay figure it out Good there's luck. an expectation as an adult just to get through it but yeah if you can start to at least you get this the healthy coping mechanisms in place you'll be you'll be doing well trucking on to adulthood right so it's a it's a weak upside like i would really 
really rather my kids not have gone through that. <laughs> in order but to learn. After I gave birth, I, I knew something was wrong. I knew I was not well. And if they had done a simple white blood cell count, if they had given me a halfway decent, I didn't even need a full physical. But somebody who's not just going to tap on my belly like they're t- checking a timpani to see how tight the drum is wound, you know. <laughs> Talk to me about what my symptoms are. Oh, I mean, how much does it cost to run a CBC? A comprehensive blood count. count. Yeah. You know, a, 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 you know, just a quick and dirty check of how are things balanced in your in your system. All of this, so many things would have been different. So that's what I got. <laughs> I mean, that's the bad side. That's the dark. Downside, you know, motherhood is, it is the hardest thing I have ever done. And I have done some hard other stuff. But when you give birth, or adopt, I, it doesn't, when you become a mom, you know it. And so, like with my little one, I, I, I still struggle with that, that feeling of sort of easy affection you can get with your kids because she is still so traumatized. She, she has a good, solid bond, I think, with my husband and my older kids, but she never had a real dad, and she never had siblings. And so there was nothing, you know, that was just sort of easy for her to fall into, whereas for me, she's got to replace two abusive mother figures in order to attach to me. And so it's still really awkward. She still looks That's at me like I take a baseball bat to her once a week. So it's a struggle. I mean, it's a struggle. The attachment piece is a struggle, but I, I, I realized very quickly that while I don't get the same, it wasn't that immediate warm fuzzy, that, that you know, the mommy feeling, but I would absolutely throw myself in front of a train if it would help her. And from day one, right. and I am not a physically violent person, but if her biological family had shown up on my doorstep, I would have kicked him down the stairs without a second thought. Yep. But, you know, so like that protective, that mama bear thing kicks in. This is your kid. And for all of them, as soon as they are yours, whatever route they take to get to you, I, you know, I, I used to joke that a piece of the brain is attached to the placenta and that every time you give birth, you just lose like 50 IQ points gone. <laughs> mom you brain? Know? Is that what mom brain is? Yeah. Uh, you just can't remember shit. But also, when you have this child, there's a piece of your heart that is out loose and vulnerable in the world now and you can't protect it enough right. and that's why parents helicopter i get why it just doesn't actually help them right you know that the best thing you can do is teach them how to be resilient because you can't possibly make a safe enough world and so it's terrifying and it's hard and you doubt yourself every day good news is that it is the marathon not the sprint it's not perfect or pretty or cute or fun it is the hardest thing i've done i understand why children have two parents biologically because there are days when my husband walks in the door and I'm like okay they're yours tag you're it I'm walking out the back door right now because I'm gonna hurt one of them otherwise I'm gonna take a me time I'm gonna take a time out on myself kids are born with the ability to press your buttons and only your buttons in a way that everybody else looks at you like what's your problem why is that such a big deal I don't know why it's such a big deal but they're making me fucking insane (laughs) that just it's a gift and it's like to me it's the same as how prisoners in a jail learn which guards to fuck with and which not because <laughs> so two children audience right they sit around and they watch the guards come and go and they pick up little details about your life and they Absolutely. learn things about you because who else are they going to study right i mean what right? else do they got to do hard for them to one of you so you can't learn all them the way they learn you and that's how people end up getting you know drawn in in various ways or that's how escapes happen and shit like that because they study their captors same with kids They study their captors. They study their parents. They learn the buttons. And, you know, kids are stupid in a lot of ways. Like, the choices they make and the things that they do. And one of those is that sometimes negative attention is better than none. Right. Right? And so they learn how to do that shit. And you just, it's hard. And it is the best thing I've ever done. It is the most important. You know, I can't, 
I will not ever be the forensic psychologist, like full-time 30 year state employee that I thought I was going to be. I will not ever write the books I thought I was going to write or whatever, you know, my professional life. I mean, I would have said six months ago that it was over completely, that that part of my life was done. The podcasting thing has been a godsend. Yeah. To use those brain cells, those things that I've learned that I didn't think I was ever going to use again, except in treating my kids like they were inmates. But otherwise, <laughs> and that's a grieving process that I had to go through. That was part of getting sick and part of going through disability. The application process, you also are grieving. You are giving up a lot of things. The loss of dreams and hopes is as much of a loss as anything else. And yeah. I had to reach a point where that became okay, that I had accepted that this is what it is and maybe my contribution to the world instead is my kids. Maybe that's it. And that has to be good enough, and it turns out it is. You know, my, my oldest, Emily, is amazing. I mean, I, she's, when I say that she is a genius, I'm, I, I'm allowed to say that as a psychologist, right? <laughs> she's an art, artistic genius um, and has been accepted to college for art school. She's a real person. And the other ones are, are coming up, my 13-year-old, is a sweet and thoughtful and smart kid. My eight-year-old never stops moving. Five-year-old is happy yes. here. You know, she's not, we, we are never going to be able to give her normal. We have to parent her in a totally different way than we ever parented the other kids. But she's better off than she would have been anywhere else. If that is the best I ever do, if I never, if I had never released a podcast or written anything and never made any impact on the world except for that, that has to be enough. And that's the flip side. The problem is it takes you 15 years to start feeling that way. The journey um, that it takes. And that's the hard thing. There are certain things in life. Having children, buying a house, getting a dog, getting a face tattoo, that you can't undo it. And once it's done, it impacts every aspect of your life in, in ways that you never think about. Just totally impossible to predict. And so be damn sure it's what you want. And it's what you want, not what your family wants. Because at 3 a.m., you're the one there with them. And you're the one whose heart breaks when they hurt. You know, and the only other advice I can offer people is if you are pregnant already or if you're already having kids, listen to you. Throw the what to expect books out because those are written about populations. And you don't have a population. You have one. You know your kid. You know when something's wrong. Doctors are no more special than you. They just have more debt. So listen to you and make noise. If there's something wrong and if there's something right, fucking cheer it on. Special thanks goes out to Kate for joining me today to talk about her pregnancy and her journey towards motherhood. She is an amazing woman and she has an amazing podcast, Ignorance Was Bliss. I'm going to post all the links that I can to her page, to all of her personal whatever. No, wait, not her personal things. I didn't hack into anything, I promise. But I will post links to her page and how you can listen to her fantastic podcast, please, please do so. It is amazing. And it really does kind of give you this insight that you might not hear on different podcasts regarding true crime and regarding how people tick. And it could be a little bit, I guess, spooky is the best word, because, you know, you take two steps to the left, two steps to the right, and wants to say 
somebody you know might not end up down that route. I'm not saying that your family members are serial killers, but I might be saying that. Anyways, go listen to Ignorance Was Bliss. Kate is a fantastic person. She's a fantastic human being. And I'm very, very grateful that she came on and talked to me today. And I highly encourage you guys to listen to her show. Now, in keeping with my Mother's Day theme, there will be a special bonus episode later on this week. And I will kind of just segue that into what I'll be doing for the Mother's Day weekend. And I look forward to talking with you guys a little bit later on in the week. Please have a great and amazing week ahead. And remember, it is National Nurses Week. So for the nurses that are in your life, give them a thank you. Give them a high five. Probably don't high five a nurse if you don't know where their hands have been. But the fact of the matter is, this week, it can be a fun little reminder just to to say thank you to the nurses and the nursing staff that help you in any way that you need. I'm very happy. I'm very blessed to be able to do what I do and to help people out on a daily basis. And it's something that I can't believe I get paid to do. So have a great week ahead, guys. I will probably see you guys somewhere in the midweek range. And I hope that your Monday is spectacular.